So, Michelle. So, David. We're back. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. So happy. I think everyone's really... Uh, we kept you going with a few, like... Little bite like the bite size. The amuse-bouche of podcasting. Yes, the, 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 the cleanser. The palate cleanser. Yeah, the little thing to have after Christmas. Yeah. When you go, oh, better get on a diet. I can't listen to a whole half hour of them. I'll just take a little bite size. Yep. So, we'll go back with a big one. Okay. And this is a really good big one. Okay, Because last year ended pretty darkly. Yeah. There was that that incident in Queensland. So many incidents. There's some, there's some really stuff. So today we've got our guest. We're kicking off with a guest. I How love, good is this? Love a guest. Let's get into it. Okay. You're listening to I Spied, the cooker of Australian intelligence. Yeah, Michelle, how do you like your ideology done? Do you want it rare, medium, or totally like black? I like it rare. Real cookers like it well done. Do they? Like Uh, overcooked? Like have a hockey puck. Hello and welcome to I Spy. My name's Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan and we've got a very special guest to kind of kick off the year. There's been a lot of chat around Soviet citizens. And so we No, thought- no, no. Sovereign citizens. So Soviets. Soviets. <laughs> I don't know where Soviet I got cinema. Soviet citizens from. I think because we always talk about Russia. We, we talk about Russia all the time. And I know that it's sovereign citizens. I know. I say Soviet. So, well, that's what you do. But, but our guest is going yeah. to clear all of this up. Okay, which I'm very excited about because God knows you can't clear anything up. No. <laughs> so Peter Hoisted, who writes for The Australian under the non-diplom of Jack the Insider, of course, and now you and I have followed each other on Twitter and I really enjoy your work a lot. So I'm super excited for you to join us. You also have a podcast called The Conditional Release Program. Welcome to I Spied and thanks for clearing stuff up because I wanted to kick the year off with someone who wasn't David and I'm super excited about this. <laughs> This is my studio marriage, mate. <laughs> the, 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 thank you, Michelle, and it's and it's and it's great to join you both. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did have a few tech issues, but, we're, few. but we're good. We're Just good. A little. Just yeah, a little. Yeah, yeah. So, look, before we go any further, I was also really keen to talk about this subject, mainly because of what happened in Wimbilla at the end of last year, the police shooting. Yeah. So we had Gareth, Nathaniel, the brothers, the Train brothers, the train brothers. and Stacey Train, who was kind of married to both of them, and it's all very confusing. And we ended up with a shootout and some police officers being murdered. Six deaths in total. Yeah. And the thing is, for me, because we are a podcast that talks about intelligence and security, for me, my interest was the fact was, was this a domestic terrorist incident? And how does this frame our internal security going forward? And I immediately thought of you because of, of course, the conditional release program and because you're just a top bloke. (laughs) Well, thank you. Look, it's it's important to note Certainly, Peter Dutton, the opposition leader, he declared it. Uh, he declared that it was, in fact, a domestic terrorist incident. Mm. Uh, the Queensland oh police God. said that it wasn't, mm-hmm. and this is part of the problem that we've got that we're that we're really not identifying serious threats within our own communities. The sovereign citizen group is an amorphous sort of group, mm. and sovsit is the sort of vernacular that, that we attach to it. There's a long history to this that we can talk about. It's initially an American movement where it is known as the sovereign citizen movement. Our movement has more in common with the Canadian uh, movement known as the free man on the land movement. But regardless of its long history, and it, it doesn't go back that long, to be honest, it only it sort of really started... Uh, rearing its head around about the 1990s in the States. Mm. We might remember John Cougar Mellencamp and so forth. There were a great deal of 
uh, and farm aid and things mm. like that. There are yeah. a great deal of repossessions of land for farmers. Um, the agricultural industry in the United States was uh, in, in real difficulties. And part of the response to that was a group that rose out of Posse Comitatus, which is a, a white supremacist group. And, and we had these kind of charlatans emerging, telling farmers that they didn't have to pay taxes, they didn't have to pay their creditors, and gave them a sort of pseudo-legal basis for this. And it's never worked, by the way. It, it just doesn't work at all. But they went on to tell people, not only do you not have to pay taxes, but you can put in claims for more taxes. <laughs> and this led to a large amount of a great many fraud um, uh, convictions, including uh, the, those to the influences within the movement. And the history of this is that the sovereign citizen movement, or what's, what's probably more likely called or more appropriate called the organised pseudo-legal commercial argument. Mm. Is that that it, is a term that is... Now, what is the abbreviation for that again? It's OPCA. OPCA. Yeah. OPCA. Organised pseudo-legal commercial argument. And, and it has more in common with the Canadian, uh, with the Canadian group, with the Canadian movement, and mm. that that is because we have much more in common legally as a legal framework. We're a constitutional monarchy, as is Canada. Yeah. Uh, America is a, is a different system. So, from around the nineties, these people started emerging in Australia, offering these pseudo legal arguments to say. There's a whole um, a variation of them, but the constitution is invalid. Laws that were, that were passed in the in, in the Australian Parliament, including the Australia Act in, in the Hawke government period and so forth, were all invalid. Yeah, and that leads to their own sort of pseudo legal arguments that the courts themselves have no jurisdiction. Yeah, and we saw this, interestingly enough, very recently on the New South Wales Mid-North Coast with a couple who were driving and got pulled over by the police and basically were challenging them, saying, we're not driving, we're travelling. We're travelling. There was, uh, and, you know, basically she was pulled over because allegedly wanted on two outstanding warrants. Uh, also, actually pulled over because uh, unregistered vehicle. Yeah, I'm registered, a whole bunch of things. And basically was saying, this is not my queen, you don't have jurisdiction with us. And it was really quite phenomenal because I think it was kind of the first time that mainstream media kind of picked this up, this kind of whole idea of these people who actually believe that they are sovereign citizens. Yes, it, it, it's broadened since, you know, it's broadened since the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention that. And what we've talked about a lot is since the pandemic, there's been a lot more more chatter because people felt like there was government overreach and people felt like the government were controlling them too much, telling them what they needed to do. So I think that's kind of sparked this kind of kickback and outrage. And we saw it too with Trumpism, Jan 6, riots, all of that stuff. And it's kind of been bubbling around the internet and it just has blown up because people were in their homes, they had nothing else to do, so they're on the internet. Yes. So so while we have this sort of group of influencers telling people in this country that the laws are not valid and you don't have to observe them. It, through the pandemic, that whole idea is broadened and the influences probably aren't as influential as they used to be. So this is kind of, you know, by internet word of mouth now reaching into that freedom movement where people are saying, well, I don't have to carry a licence, I don't have to register my vehicle. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and, they, and they sort of cling to scraps of this pseudo-legal uh, movement. Sovereign citizens were declared a, a terrorist group by the FBI 
in the United States around about 2015 uh, from memory. This came after an event in 2010 where a Sovsit father and son were pulled over by police. The two police officers were, while, while, the, while the father was taken, got out of the car, the son came around with, a, with an assault rifle and shot both police. Yeah. <laughs> Just insane. He's dead. Uh, and while chase where shots were fired. And yeah. it, it just goes to point how, how dangerous this can be. Yeah, and why do you think it's taken so long that, you know, you say the FBI recognised this in 2015. It seems that it's taken a long time for Australian politicians and, you know, lawmakers to kind of recognise this, that this was going on, and police. I'd like to field that ball. Okay. And it's a really simple – it's a very interesting thing is when we say why is it taken so long for Australia to recognise this, mm. it hasn't. We have actually been recognising this for years. I mean, I remember back in the day when I was working uh, for ASIO, we were looking at places like, like Australian National Movement, National Action, mm. Jack Van Tongren burning Chinese restaurants over in Perth, things yes. like that. It was there. What's happened is this is metastasized mm. in a lot of different respects. And that you've, it's not just purely right wing. You've now got anti-vax. You've got the OPCA movement. All of these different movements are now metastasizing into this sort of amorphous mm. right wing radicalization. And mm. I think this is the big question that we're faced with at the moment is, uh, as like the Queensland police are saying, well, it's not really a terrorist or, uh, incident, while Peter Dutton said it is, right? Technically, it is, but technically, mm. it isn't. I mean, you can make those arguments well, just by looking at. The it was definition. the same with the Link Cafe siege. Technically, it was. Te- technically, it wasn't. Yeah. It's like what? What? What do we classify as a terrorism incident? And it, it comes down to the worst kind of terrorism that you can have, which is the lone wolf terrorist. Yeah. These people that are inspired by different ideologies or different political movements or different religions, mm. but they're acting on their own because you can't trace them. You can't mm. follow those guys to start with. They're off the grid. They're, yeah. they're, they're almost impossible to deal with. We'll talk a little bit. I mean, I'd like to talk about Wyambula and, and yep. how those police got, got got to enter that property in the first place and, mm. and what we know about that. But you're absolutely right, Dave. Metastasizing is the right term. This is essentially what's happened as a sort of result of the sort of broad freedom movement. Mm. And they've adopted some of the pseudo-law principles and they're believing that the state is illegitimate and therefore they can pretty much do as they please. So let's just talk briefly about Wyambler, but let's just un- understand some context of it. Yes. When police when police go to an outlaw motorcycle gang chapter or, uh, to, a, to one of their houses, yep. you will see them respond in significant numbers mm-hmm. and, and, and there will be a tactical response. And what happens in those things, generally speaking, is that arrests are made without incident, and, you know, the bikers are, are dragged away and they're charged with offences and so forth. Um, there are there are very rare, very rarely are there incidents involved here and, and there are heavy police numbers. Mm. And that's because the outlaw motorcycle gang members understand how the game works. They understand that, you know, they're there, well, the police are there to uphold the law and they're there to break it on occasions. Yeah, <laughs> it's mutual contract. <laughs> and, and if they get pulled up, they'll go and get a high-priced lawyer and, and they'll go and sort it out in the courts. Mm. With sits, if we use the vernacular, that's completely different. You've got a very, very dangerous situation because, the, the, because those people who adopt these beliefs 
are not only saying that the, the, they're saying the police are not there to uphold the law and that they are well within their rights to, to react violently mm. to, to them entering their premises. And Train actually was saying that he, I think it was Gary Train, had the belief that he was being watched. There were drones being used to keep tracks on him. The government were watching him. There was that sort of paranoid delusion going on mm. in his mind that he was a target. So when the police arrived at his doorstep, he was going to, he, I, I think his daughter in a recent article said that he reacted to it the way a soldier would. He believed he was on a battle line. They'd crossed the line. War was on. The battle was Yes, started. that's right. And, there, and there's evidence to indicate that he basically, well, it set up an ambush and they'd, yeah. and, and they'd set up sort of edifices around the, around the, the house to basically take so that the police who did enter that would walk in walk in a certain way yeah, and they were able to lines. set up and ambush them. The trains, in fact, Gareth, it was actually self-identified as a Christian conservative, mm. which is absolutely absurd, of course. He's, he's neither a Christian uh, nor a conservative, mm. but that's the way he viewed the world. And we're seeing this more and more, people living in the fringes of our cities and the fringes of our, of our regional towns. When the police, when the police tactical response occurred, uh, and there were many, many efforts to get the trains to, to basically drop their weapons and and uh, and allow themselves to be arrested after the the murder of the two police officers and the next door neighbour, they believed that Stacey may well have been sort of uh, almost a hostage herself. Mm. Uh, and my understanding of it is, for, for a little bit of inside information, mm. is that Stacey was was wounded and she and and she continued to fire at police. Yeah. That's what While I heard. While she as was well. wounded, and she was the last one to, she's the last one to be brought down by the police. Yeah. So that tells you that there's, um, not only was she not a hostage, but she was absolutely locked into this. Yeah. And the other thing that we see from the trains is that they have become radicalised because that's the right term. Yeah. They have become radicalised in the space of weeks, and that's the really frightening thing. So how much of that influence is driven by? Online discussions in the darker shadows of the net. I mean, that's one of the real big, really big problems. You really can't control these things, but people are living in these little echo chambers and they're being urged on to commit violent acts. Well, the psychology of it as well is when you say, you know, the frightening thing about them being radicalised so quickly, that is how radicalization works if it's a long drawn out process mm. it's too mm. it's very quick for the cracks to appear in that ideology but when it's really fast that's when you get them locked in and locked in you know you, they are locked and back, the, back in the day of al-qaeda it was you know al-qaeda would radicalize would radicalize some of their um, terrorist uh, um, members over a period of years yeah mm. and and then we saw islamic state Rise where where basically people were being radicalised within within days, and this is the same thing and the same major problem that we have. I mean, I've been told by people who have contact online contact with the with these with these groups that there are others who have just now perhaps the more extreme members uh, who have just simply moved away from their online presence and they've brought their families into them and, and woe betide anyone who enters their premises, police yeah. or otherwise. Yeah, and I think what we've seen recently too, the whole uprising of like incels and sovsets, there's mm. these little pockets of the internet that are just feeling disenfranchised and disillusioned with the world around them. This kind of correlation between their socioeconomic standing and where they sit and 
it's it's a problem that I I wonder how we address. Like, what is the way to address this correctly? Uh, it, it's almost a problem without a solution. Yeah. Um, uh, look, you know, we sort of muse on the conditional release program. We say, you know, why, why does your yoga instructor now believe that Trump won in 2020? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, everyone's fucking confused. It's, it's, it's nuts. <laughs> yes. But there's, you mentioned incels before. Incels are mm. really, really interesting. Yeah. Because initially it started as a, as a sort of self-help group and there was a woman and, and, and we're going back to the 1990s now, uh, early days of the web and chat rooms and all this sort of stuff. And it was designed to basically be a support group yeah. for men, young men particularly who, who were struggling to have relationships with, with, uh, with women. Mm. Now they're shooting up shopping centres. Mm. And, and what, what we see with this, you know, and it's the same with the Flat Earth Society, is that once you look, reach that level of suggestibility, you are very easily manipulated by influences. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it, you know, if we look at, you know, the yoga instructor, you know, it's this, this notion of pseudoscience. So medical science has been rejected. And if you reject medical science as a, as a logical and rational approach to, to illness and humanity, then basically anything becomes possible. All of a sudden, you can be, you can lurch into QAnon, and you can lurch into, into other extreme groups, and be heavily manipulated by, well, by Nazis, by extremists, um, because they realise you are suggestible enough that we can manipulate you. Yeah, and no, from a journalist perspective, you know, five years ago, it was you know, this whole ISIS, Al-Qaeda issue that we were always talking about and we were always worried about. Yeah. And it's just so interesting the difference five years makes and where we're sitting now. And the people that we have to be worried about are the people that we essentially would have least expected it. You know, families, like yeah. people just living in your neighbourhood. Which leads us to a really interesting point that's come up recently. It's been discussed in academic circles, particularly in security intelligence circles, is the idea of we're now entering what's called the fifth wave of terrorism. There's a wave theory for terrorism. Okay. There are four waves. We're going to do an episode on this because okay. you love this. I love writing but a wave. This, this fifth wave of terrorism is anti-government terrorism, mm. right? And mm. the problem we have with defining it is like that, that often the, the big argument is there's right-wing terrorism, there's left-wing terrorism. Interestingly enough, in ASIO's submission to the Senate inquiry into intelligence security, they said one of the things that's not going on in Australia at the moment is left-wing terrorism. It's like we've got all the governments. We don't need it. But the problem is what's going on is because it's coming from so many different directions, it's getting a lot harder to define. And the Reichsburgers coup attempt yes. in um, Germany yeah. mm. is a really good indication of how the lack of trust in government, the lack of faith in government, because everyone's now not trusting our governments, we feel disenfranchised. The more disenfranchised we feel, the more likely we are to strike out against the government, hence the problem metastasizes. It gets worse and worse. And that's going to be the next thing. And the big problem with these terrorist waves, as we'll discuss in the episode we'll do on it, is they can last up to 40 years. Mm. So we're actually at the be the beginning point of what could be a long process of dealing with a new form of terrorism in our society. But I don't mean to scare you at all. I know, but I was just going to say, <laughs> what's the worst case scenario here? Because in, in all honesty, from everything that I've covered in my time as a journalist, this is the kind of stuff that scares me the most. Because this is the stuff that people can hide behind mm -hmm. and 
like what what is the answer how do we fix it well it's it's as dave says it's the it's the lone wolf issue and it's almost impossible to stop let me go back to Wyambler again yep. now we found on a on a basic search that um, Gareth Train's um, threats to police had been made. They, they existed on a, on a web search called DuckDuckGo, which you probably both use. Yeah. Mm. Um, and they're gone now, by the way, but they were there. And so police need to use these tools to find out just a level of threat, find out what someone's uh, online presence sort of equates to mm. and determine a police response and generally you know I mean you know it's easy in hindsight but when we look at Wambler we've got to say that required a tactical response that yes. required a tactical response from the outset and and guys in black pajamas with assault rifles that's yeah. what it what that's what it needed but instead we had four young police officers wander onto a property not their fault by the way mm. but at command level people should have been doing the intel to find out exactly who these people were as much as they could from their online presence. Now, one of the things about that as well is it comes down to that thing where, you know, everyone says the government's watching us and they know everything. No, they don't. No. no I mean, they really don't. Right, no. no matter how good their software is, at, like the Echelon-style software that goes through and picks up keywords out of the internet, that's still a ton of information you've got to get through. Mm. And literally, I've said it a thousand times before, but for an organisation to be able to watch absolutely every one of us in this country, it would have the population of the size of Sydney and the information would be three weeks old before it gets to anyone who can action it. Right. That's the problem yeah. we've got. There is so much information out there that you've got to know where to look. And if you miss one clue, that lone wolf goes through, right? And that's the big problem. So has yeah. Queensland, the Queensland shooting... Has that changed the response? Are you seeing that? Well, I spoke to a uh, young uh, young um, uh, member of the New South Wales Police Force recently, and I said, "You know, have you had any training in regard to responding to to sits? And he goes, "No, mate, we just laugh at them." And and that's the worst thing you could do, probably, because they are we all do at a, at, at that very base pull over level. It it. it they are kind of very funny. They quote, you know, they're they're, they're actually not driving a car. They've they've got a they've got a coach and horse basically. It's That's uh, it's a carriage, you know, and they, and they are free men on the land um, going just travelling down the road. Now it can be extremely you know extremely amusing when these when these people do come across it because I say they they're basically just you know just picked out little bits of of self-sit ideology and and run with it. But as we saw in the United States, where obviously there are a whole lot more weapons available oh, in the yeah. citizenry, it can be extremely dangerous. So routine traffic pull can lead to nightmares. And so the FBI has responded with this. State police, even uh, even county sheriffs have responded to this in the United States. But in Australia, we haven't. We're still in this kind of denial. If we look at the Queensland police statements about this, it's still in this level of denial about this being a sort of isolated case. And maybe it is, maybe it is, but I doubt it very much on some of the intel we're looking at at the moment. There is some, I heard from one so-called expert who's, who believes that there is another one being planned. I've passed that information on to the authorities. Uh, again, it's very vague. We don't know the identities of any of any potential offender. But our police forces, and, and Dave, you might, be, you might be able to correct me on this, and yeah. our intelligence services just seem to be, we got we got caught in this business of, uh, and, and very soundly, uh, looking at Islamic terrorism in Australia and around the world, mm. and there were terrorist outrages all over the world. 
And one wonders whether our laws are, were designed particularly for that threat. So when we when we talk about if we wanted to declare the sovereign citizen or free man on the land movement as a terror as a domestic terrorist organisation, once we do that, it becomes an a, it, it's such an amorphous group. It becomes incredibly difficult to police. Yes. So, so when once you list a terrorist organisation, it becomes a criminal offence to associate with it. Now, in in the case of soft sits in the vernacular, that becomes almost impossible to police. Well, it, it, it's kind of like Antifa. People turning around and saying, "Well, Antifa mm. is an organisation, and they should be listed as a terrorist organisation." They're not an organisation. It's an overarching term to describe a group of yeah. people, a group of yeah. people, and a movement mm. more than anything. Now, just on that, that's a really good point you've raised. A terrorist act, as defined by the Australian government, a terrorist act is an act or a threat to commit an act that is done with the intention to coerce or influence the public or any government by intimidation to advance a political, religious or ideological cause. Right? So ideological cause fits. Now, the religious thing that covers your jihadists, mm. right? your political, your ideology, that covers left yeah. and right. The, the thing is, and this is the interesting thing, is when they change the term from saying it's a jihadi terrorist to a religious extremist, uh, an ideological extremist, a lot of people are saying this is muddying the waters. Instead, of, we should be saying this yeah. is a right-wing movement, this is a left-wing movement, this is a religious movement. And I think ultimately the problem we've got at the moment, I think with the so someone said about the Queensland police, I think they, call, they don't want to call it a terrorist or organ, uh, incident because they're embarrassed. It, 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 it is embarrassing, and and the political response too, with the with the exception of Dutton, who actually spoke pretty well about it, he's mm. a former Queensland police officer himself. Uh, the, the the response is to at uh, one of aversion. We don't want to talk about blood in the water. We just simply don't want to do that. Our political leadership don't want to acknowledge that there are great rifts and potential risks around that yes. within our society. Yeah, I'm following um, someone on Twitter who puts up, well, the cooker, calls them the cookers, but puts up videos from them. And so I'm seeing them more and more. And it's just really interesting. There's this whole section of society that I didn't even know pretty much existed until we started seeing these incidents come out. And their belief system is is quite intense. And they try to organise times to get together. I mean, at the moment, from what I gather, they're not really a strength in numbers kind of situation. They don't really have the ability to kind of formulate a get together on a mass scale. But I can't imagine that that's too far off. What do you think about that? Well, we saw 40,000. I mean, 30 to 40,000. That's Cookers are not very good with maths, and they declared that it was eight hundred thousand and so forth. But we saw thirty or forty thousand right. people less than a year ago assemble in in Canberra. Yeah, yeah. What many of those people learned, and they, you know, there were people with genuine concerns, yeah. genuine fears for their future, anti-vaccination concerns, anti-mandate concerns, and so forth. They assembled there, and then they saw that this group was sort of disparate, had no particular leadership. The money that they donated went missing and so forth. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of them sort of disappeared and went back to their lives. But then there's this hardcore group that really can't go back. And 
And I don't know what we do about these people. They're people that are obsessed with pedophilia within the high, uh, within, you know, basically uh, the, the, the high echelons of, of power. And, yeah, I did like that one with Australia. the pizza place in America. And <laughs> it's well, just. They, there's a group of Canberra's, there's a group of Canberra's, it's a hardcore group, probably less than two dozen. And, and their job is basically to run around and yell pedophile at buildings. And, and, <laughs> and it's, it's really very strange. But you think. Where do these people go? Mm. I mean, you, exactly. You know, there's no coming back for so many of. Them. I'd like you to point on the building where this building touched you. Um, <laughs> and the interesting thing is, uh, personal experience. I have a family member, a couple of family members, who have gone down the anti-vax well, and it, it's caused a no end of distress for the family. Mm. But it, the, the big thing is. They were normal, middle class, quite yeah. normal people, yeah. but they got caught into the, the vax thing. And then because of the isolation, the disenfranchisement and the grievance that came out of – we all felt grievances out of COVID. But because of what happened with that, they've gone further and further down the well. Yeah. And we're worried that they're never going to come out of that well. But the other thing – and it was interesting you brought it up, the whole thing about the demonstration in – Canberra, how much of this is a grift that has gone horribly, horribly wrong? Because oh, there the, are a lot of people making a lot of money out of this. Oh, yes. There's At a lot the of apex. people that made money yeah. out of the anti-vax movement. Yeah, yeah. you're Avi Yemenis and those, that, these people that are just – send me $100 and I'll tell you the truth. Right up yeah. to people like you – know, we have them mm. in parliament. We have people that believe this that are sitting in the upper house. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a real concern. That they've got a political mandate. I mean, admittedly, one of them has 77 primary votes and the rest of it was preferences that got him in. Mm. But, you know, this is a real concern in that how do we get that tumour out? Well, um, the simple fact of the matter is we had, we had a federal election last year yeah. and we found that, and, and although, you know, this broad freedom anti-vax movement found that they are of very small number. Yeah. And that there were some of those politicians that you mentioned, not by name, but but they were they sought to pull that movement in towards them. They thought they could be worth, um, you know, uh, votes Couple in the votes. end to them. Yeah, because they, really, they saw what it, happened in the US with Trumpism and Republicans, and they were like, okay, let's just follow this. With the exception of um, uh, the United Australia Party's uh, Ralph Babbitt, there, there were there's no no one yeah. really elected. No one really elected. So there's no real representation there. And the more these guys, and we're talking about the political figures, particularly in the upper house, attempt to try and drag them in, they find out just exactly what a chaotic bunch they are and that they <laughs> yeah. have this sort of disparate set of beliefs that yeah. really can't be turned around for any political end. And Mr and Roberts, th there's a herd of cats here for you too. Well, he had a live last week where he had to deal with this issue of Bill Heffernan's so-called list of 28 pedophiles in senior positions. Yeah. It goes back many years yeah. and it was and, – and a lot of the sort of freedom movement believe that this has been suppressed by the big state and so forth. And, and, and he had to have someone come along and explain to them that that wasn't the case, that, that Heffernan had come to this – had come to a Senate committee meeting and, and, um, and, and offered this and they said, well, it's not part of our bellywick so we're not going to accept it. And in the end, there's no suppression order on this. It's just – it was really just some of Heffernan's nonsense in the end. But, of course, people went away from that live uh, last week with, uh, with Roberts, Senator Roberts, uh, and saying, look, he's wrong. 
He's wrong. He's wrong. You cannot. You, what these these belief systems are inculcated, and there's no removing them. I mean, besides going through the largest deprogramming exercise the world has ever seen, there's really nothing else to be done here. The great concern is that these people will more and more self isolate or isolate in in the fringes politically and mm. and socially you look at these guys that are there now there's been a hardcore group in canberra since that big group since that big assembly in february last year and you think these guys well they've either got money that has been you know arrived at through inheritance or some other means or they're all on welfare and they're just they're basically just wandering around yelling pedophile buildings it, there's no coming back i don't know that there is any coming back the problem is not so much them that they have no political clout whatsoever they're a mild and more than a mild annoyance for the people of canberra who uh, who have you know they've obviously been harassed and harangued from time to time so people of canberra hate these guys Look, as a person who lived in Canberra, you'd hate them after about a couple of weeks. You'd go, well, that's amusing, and then it would just be annoying. I mean, not a lot happens in Canberra, so when anything happens, it's always exciting. Yeah, yeah, holding up traffic and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) They really really dislike buses, so there's always some... (laughs) There's always something going on around a bus stop. But but that, that's that's not really the problem. The problem is the influencers, as you said, mm-hmm. the people at the apex who use this as a business model. Yep. You know, Donate Now, Reignite Democracy Australia is one such group. There are others around the place. Dave O'Neig's group. Um, currently he's in a bit of trouble too, isn't he? With um... it, Well, he's facing, he's facing charges over misappropriation of funds exactly. and... Uh, in regard to a charity that was established in and around the the, the floods in uh, in northern in New South Wales, and so they're, they're, the the grift is strong. So, mm. but it's not just that they're grifting; they're also politically grifting, mm. and and they're and they're getting more and more people who are, who do feel disenfranchised, often for good reason, through the pandemic and and feeling the pull of these guys. Um, that you know, these a lot of these people we call them cookers, and I'm not always comfortable with it. I use the term occasionally. Yeah, it's a bit flippant. not always comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, these people have had their their wallets emptied by these mm. characters, mm-hmm. and there's not a lot we can do about that because once you're in, once you've made a donation, you really do feel a strong sense of association. Oh yeah. Well, David, look, I think there's so much good chat happening here. We're gonna to have to we're gonna to have to do two apps. Let's just put him on pause. Okay, let's I'm just pa- put, pausing let's him right put now. Jack on pause, and uh, we'll ha- you just gotta he's just gonna to have to wait for a week. Okay, Are you sure he'll be okay? He's Is- fine. Okay. His wife will bring him a cup of orange. Okay, great.